Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. So glad to be here with you this morning as we wrap up our series in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is the guy who founded this church in Corinth. He was there for a year and a half, and then he went on to do ministry in Ephesus. And so he had connections and relationships with people in this church, and he found out about some of the issues going on in this church. We also know that the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter asking him some questions about theology or how to live as a Christian. And so the book of 1 Corinthians is all about addressing these issues in the church and answering some of the questions that the people in the church had. This morning, we are talking about the issue of suing other Christians. Now, it's 2022, and people make lawsuits over just about anything. Lawsuits were something that happened in the Bible, and we all know they happen today. And I don't know about you, but when I think about lawsuits, I think about some of the most ridiculous ones. Like, how many of you have heard about the lady who sued McDonald's for like $2 million when she spilled coffee? Yep, we all know that one. So just for fun, as we get into the passage this morning, I'm going to show two lawsuits up on the screen, and we're going to take a poll on which lawsuit you think actually won. So up here, we have a guy who lost about half a million dollars gambling, and his lawsuit was over the fact that the odds were stacked against him and that his dice were rigged. We've got this other lawsuit where somebody sued Dunkin' Donuts because he thought that their egg and steak sandwich was way too expensive compared to the other sandwiches when it didn't even have real steak, just minced Angus. So these are real lawsuits. At least I think so because I found them on the internet. So <laughs> take care of that with a grain of salt. But how many of you think that the lawsuit against the casino for losing half a million dollars actually won? None of you? All right, how many of you think that the lawsuit against Dunkin' Donuts won? A few more hands? All right, believe it or not, it was actually the gambler. So this is not a stamp of approval on gambling. Just because you can lose a lot of money and win a lawsuit doesn't mean it's a good idea. Here's another one, now that you've got the hang of it. There was a man who actually sued King's Hawaiian Sweet Rolls because he was led to believe that these rolls were actually made in Hawaii. Yes. The package said that this business was founded in the Aloha State, and it also said that they were made in a bakery in California. And so that's what his lawsuit was all about, being misled and believing where these rolls were made. This other one here is there was a pylon collision between two golf carts with six golfers involved, and one of the carts actually flipped upside down, and these guys sued the golf course over these bad conditions. So how many of you think that the Hawaiian Sweet Roll lawsuit actually won? Okay, a couple hands. How many of you think that the lawsuit against the, the golf course actually won? few more hands. Your mind's about to be blown. It is actually the lawsuit over the Hawaiian sweet rolls. Yes. Pretty crazy, right? All right, here's another one. There's a man who sued Pop-Tarts because the filling inside of the strawberry Pop-Tarts didn't contain just strawberries. Yep, because there were apples and pears in this filling. And so his lawsuit was against the fact that there was more than just strawberries in this filling, even though the box listed the ingredients for what was in the filling. 
We also have a lady who sued Folgers Coffee because she was not able to make as many cups of coffee as the container advertised. And so she sued for $5 million in damages. Yeah, so I guess going without a cup of coffee is damage. But how many of you think that the lawsuit against Pop-Tarts won? All right, just a couple. How many about the Folgers Coffee? A few more hands. It is actually the Pop-Tarts. Yes. All right, last one here. Somebody sued Mrs. Smith's pies because there was not enough butter. I mean, I get it. I don't know if there's such thing as too much butter, but this guy made a lawsuit over it. And then this Tootsie Roll one, let me actually read this to you because the wording of it just cracks me up. A plaintiff sued Tootsie Rolls claiming that the candy is immoral and unethical Because he says it's unfair that the candies are made with sugar and trans fat instead of healthier ingredients. He also says that the delicious sugar and fat create an unfair candy marketplace for Tootsie Rolls competitors. I don't know if he knows what other candies are made out of. So between these two lawsuits, how many of you think that the lawsuit against Mrs. Smith's pies won? All right. How many over the Tootsie Rolls? It is actually over the Tootsie Rolls. Yes. So in case you didn't know, Tootsie Rolls are immoral. All right. (laughs) Hopefully you walk away from the message remembering a little bit more than that. But I think, honestly, you might hear that the message this morning is on lawsuits and think, what does this have to do with me? If I had to take a guess, you're probably not in the process of suing another Christian. Maybe that's something that's just not even on your radar. But I really want to encourage you not to check out this morning and just think, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Because I want to answer a much broader question. And here's the question. If you do the right thing, but you go about it in the wrong way, is it still the right thing? If you do the right thing, but you go about it in the wrong way, is it still the right thing? And so we're going to look at a situation in God's word about suing other Christians and see how it is an example that answers this question. So if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're picking up in verse 1. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, we also have it up on the screen. So let's get into it. Paul says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. So Paul's talking about disputes in between Christians. He even calls these trivial cases. What Paul's not talking about here are criminal cases. If somebody in the church commits a crime, and there's a whole process of letting the law deal with that. But these are over things like arguments over a property line, or maybe somebody was hired to do work and they only did a half-hearted job that left something to be desired. Now here's another hypothetical situation. 
We'll say a farmer lets his neighbor borrow a rake. And so that neighbor is using the rake, and he breaks the head right off that rake. And he's like, oh, I don't know how to fix this, and I don't have the money for a new one. And so he thinks if he can just tuck the pieces of the rake away and not even mention it to the farmer, then maybe he'll get by. And so they don't talk. They don't make eye contact in church. But then the farmer realizes that his rake is missing. And so he goes to his neighbor, and he's like, hey, can I have my rake back? And his neighbor's like, what rake? And the farmer's like, well, the one I let you borrow a couple weeks ago. And so the neighbor's like, oh, that rake. Yeah, yeah, I borrowed that, but then I put it back. So if you can't find it now, that's totally on you, not my problem. Well, then you got the farmer who's upset that he knows he gave this guy his rake. And so they take this matter to court. They go into the center of town, surrounded by crowds of people, and they have this case judged by a person who is not a Christian. And so this is what Paul is warning against. He doesn't want these people to be a bad example of Jesus by going into the center of town just to argue about these trivial matters. And let me just make one more observation before we move on. Paul is not talking about taking an unbeliever to court. This whole situation that Paul is talking about is between two Christians. And Paul gives three implications for why it is a bad idea to take another Christian to court. And first, Paul begins with answering this unspoken question. Well, if you're not going to take a Christian to court, then who's going to deal with this matter? Is a Christian even qualified to settle this dispute? And Paul says, absolutely, yes. And he goes on to say something that's pretty interesting, and maybe you've never heard this before. Paul says that someday Christians will judge angels. This is what he says in verse 3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? And so we know from this verse and a few other verses that Paul is talking about a day sometime in the future after Jesus returns to earth that we will judge the angels that rebelled against God before the earth was even created. We know a little bit about this from Jude in verse 6 where it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. And so Paul is saying, all right, if someday Christians are going to be judging angels, which is a pretty big deal, then we are also qualified to judge these little disputes. And so the first implication of taking a Christian to court is that you bypass a Christian who is perfectly capable of settling this dispute, and then you take this dispute before unbelievers. And the second implication of taking a Christian to court is that you take this case before people who don't share the same values as a Christian. Let's go ahead and look at verse 4. Paul says, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? So can you imagine just going to a secular court, to the judge and the jury, and being like, what do you think God wants for my life? Do you have any pointers for how I can live for God better? It wouldn't really make sense to go to those people about Christian values because they don't have God as an authority in their life. They don't take following the Bible very seriously. And if you are a Christian, 
then God is the highest authority in your life. And you're called not only to be obedient to the legal system, but also to what God says in his word. And there are some things that God says in the Bible that are perfectly legal that God says we still shouldn't do. I mean, we can hold unforgiveness in our heart, or we can gossip. And those things are perfectly legal, but they don't honor God. You're not going to get a ticket or go to jail for being prideful. And so Paul is saying, all right, if you take your case before unbelievers, they can hold you to a legal system, but they're not going to hold you accountable to what God says in his word. And so Paul says that these kinds of matters should be dealt with within the church. If you have a problem with somebody, if somebody has wronged you, then you're called to confront that person one-on-one. And if they still don't listen, then you grab somebody else from the church, and then you confront that person two-on-one. And if they still don't listen, then you get more people involved in confronting this person. And the whole purpose of confronting this person within the church is to bring that offender to restoration to the point where they realize that they are guilty of disobeying God and hurting other people and get to the place where they have restored relationships within the church. But if you take another Christian to court, oftentimes the whole reason behind that is just for payback, to make that person pay for the injustice that was done to you. And so when we take another Christian to court, we totally bypass perfectly qualified Christians to deal with that case. We take our case before people who don't share the same values as us. And the third implication is that we set a bad example to unbelievers. In verse 5, Paul says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Let's face it, does going to court really bring out the best in a Christian? I mean, I can't speak from experience. I've never been to court before. But I imagine that if I wanted to show other people the love of Jesus, if I wanted to be a representation of love, joy, and peace, and show people the grace and mercy of God, I don't think that going to court is really the best way to do this. I mean, imagine... Somebody is leaving your house from small group, they're backing out of your driveway, and they hit your mailbox. They totally demolish your mailbox. And on top of that, they are unwilling to pay for the damages. They say that it's actually your fault because you didn't have adequate lighting, there are no reflectors on the mailbox, and now they've got this dent in their bumper and they think that you are responsible for that. Well, what are you going to do? You could take something like that to court, but if you ever do that, Please don't tell people that you're from Bridgewater Church, all right? So this is not the best opportunity to go giving out church invite cards to people in the jury after disputing over something like who's going to pay for a mailbox. And when it comes to taking another Christian to court, it's always a lose-lose situation. Yes, you can lose the case, that's a loss, but even if you win that case, it is still a loss because it's a bad example to unbelievers. Let's keep on reading in verse 7. Paul says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 
Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. And so what Paul's saying here, I think, is simple in concept, but is really hard to live out. He's basically saying that if somebody smashes your mailbox and you bring somebody else in to confront that person and ask them to pay for it, and they're still unwilling to pay for it, you could get some more people in the church to confront them and they're still not willing to pay for that mailbox, then you should just pay for that new, new mailbox out of pocket and that it's not worth it to take this person to court. And Jesus says something very, very similar to this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so Jesus saying, all right, you know the old system, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which honestly, when I hear that, that makes sense to me. If somebody does something to you, you just give them what they deserve in return. But Jesus is saying, uh-uh, none of that. I've got a better system. When somebody mistreats you, how about you allow them to mistreat you even more? Now, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I've read these verses before, but it hasn't really stood out to me until this week. Just how backwards this sounds, how hard this really is to live out. Because let's be honest, we're Americans. Our rights are everything to us. And so when somebody wrongs us, it's so backwards to say, all right, you want to steal my coat? Here, here's another jacket. That, that goes against our sense of justice. And maybe we think, why is Jesus saying this? Does he not care about justice? And, and I think that our desire for justice really comes from God himself. I think that God is the God of justice. And he's not saying this because he wants to sweep other people's faults under the rug or that the misdoings of people against you just are ignored by God or that he doesn't see them. And so justice is a good thing. I think we could say that seeking justice is the right thing when we go about it in the wrong way. And we can go about seeking justice on our terms when we go about the tooth for tooth, eye for eye, you do this to me, I'm going to do this back to you. That's really just payback. That's revenge. And Paul says in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so what we know from this verse is that if somebody mistreats you, if you are cheated, God doesn't turn a blind eye to that. Even if you don't seek revenge on your terms, God will take care of that for you. Now, growing up in my household, my sisters and I, we all get along really well. But believe it or not, when we were younger, we had our fair share of fights. And I don't remember this necessarily happened specifically, but I'm sure it happened multiple times where I would be playing with a toy, and then one of my sisters would come up to me and take that toy. And then I'd be like, oh, here, do you want this other toy that I was about to play with? 
No, that didn't happen like that. Actually, I would say something like, that's mine, and maybe push my sister over. And of course, my parents have this ability to just swoop in and catch me in my worst moments. And so we'd end up all getting spankings. And I don't think it would help my case for me to say, but I was just standing up for my rights. That was my toy, and she took it away from me. That's what she deserves. My parents would probably say something like, all right, all right, we're the parents, leave the discipline up to us. And so in me seeking justice on my terms right there and then, I actually made myself guilty and deserving of a spanking. I could have totally gotten out of a spanking if I just was gracious to my sister and let her have that toy. And then my parents would have swooped in and disciplined her, and I would have been totally fine. And so I want to just circle back now to that question that we began with this morning. And I think that when we take a broader perspective on this and leaving judgment in God's hand, that we will be on the right track here. So going back to that question, if you do the right thing, but you go about it in the wrong way, is it still the right thing? Well, confronting other Christians about sin in their lives, I think, is the right thing. But if you confront other Christians by taking them to court and having your case tried by unbelievers, then it's not the right thing. Seeking justice is absolutely the right thing to do. But seeking justice on our terms by paying back to people what we think they deserve, they deserve instead of leaving it in the hands of God, that is not what is right. And more than just winning an argument, or winning a case, God's desire for us is to live in obedience to him. So here are just a few questions that we can ask ourselves to stay on the right track. And first, what is my reputation? So maybe you're not worried about suing another Christian. Maybe that's nothing that's on your radar right now. But please don't miss Paul's reasoning behind everything that he's saying right here. He's saying don't take other Christians to court because of our reputation in front of unbelievers. When unbelievers hear your name, are they going to just think about you fighting over some silly dispute with another Christian? And so my question for you is, when other people hear your name, what comes to their mind? What kind of emotions come flooding in? If we were to announce to everybody in Tunkhannock that you come to this church, would it make people want to come here or stay away? And this isn't just about protecting our, relationship, or our reputation, but on top of that, it's all about protecting God's reputation. And we could ask ourselves the question, am I more focused on my rights or on God's reputation? And when we are wrong, it's so easy for us to just want to deal out vengeance on that person. But really, when we are wronged or cheated, Perhaps that is the best opportunity for us to show that person grace and mercy. Grace is giving somebody a gift that they don't deserve. And mercy is withholding a punishment that somebody does deserve. And God showed us grace when he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And God showed us mercy when he took the penalty of sin and he put that on his very son, Jesus and so when we are wrong and when we are mistreated, we can be an example of Jesus and set a good reputation for God by responding in grace and in mercy. And the final question for us this morning is, 
Is the dispute worth somebody's eternity? I think this question just highlights how high the stakes are for the way that we represent Jesus to the rest of the world. Because ultimately, I think that the world judges us by our behaviors more than by our beliefs. I don't think it's quite as likely that somebody will choose not to believe in Jesus for salvation just because of a couple of verses that are hard to understand or live out. I think it's more likely that somebody will choose not to believe in Jesus for salvation because they think that Christians are hypocrites, where Christians will say they believe one thing and then the way that they live their lives is an exact contradiction to what they say they believe. And so we need to ask ourselves, if we get into this dispute, is it really worth it if unbelievers look at us and think that we are hypocrites? And my final challenge for you this morning is to ask somebody before the end of the day what they think of your reputation, what they think other people think of when they hear your name. Don't ask the person who you know thinks that you can do no wrong and that you are perfect in everything that you do. But ask somebody who can just shoot straight with you. And then ask them about some pointers about what you could do differently so that you can be a good example to people who don't follow Jesus. Maybe when people hear your name, they think of you as the kind of person who talks behind other people's backs. Or maybe you have an anger problem or anything like that. Maybe you hold on to grudges or bitterness. And just by taking those steps of becoming a better light for Jesus... I think that we can make a difference for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God of peace and a God of unity. And I thank you for just the grace and the mercy that you showed us, God. We were broken and messed up sinners when you sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sin so that we wouldn't have to experience separation from you forever. We don't deserve that in any way. And yet, so often when people wrong us, we just want to give them what we think they deserve. And help us to leave vengeance in your hands. Help us to be a good example to you in the way that we treat one another. And help us to be intentional about the way that we act in front of unbelievers. And God, I ask that you would give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.